When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. In the first four episodes of The Maps, we have covered the backgrounds of the Speed Freak Killers and learned about the known victims of the pair. When Cindy Vanderheiden went missing on November 14, 1998, Rob Dick, a local bounty hunter, became involved in the searches and it has become his mission to help as many families as he can. He is still to this day talking to Shermantine and trying to gather information to find more of those that are still missing. We visited Rob at his office and spoke to him at length about the Speed Freak Killers and his involvement in the case. We will be talking to Rob at various points in the upcoming episodes. Rob is a licensed private investigator and as well as a bounty hunter and bail expert. According to Rob's website, many bail bond company owners consider Rob to be one of the most successful bounty hunters actively working in the country today. He is a national speaker and guest of conventions throughout the bail bond industry. His exceptional success rate of closing cases through location and capture of defendants, preparing and appearing in court on bail bond motions, and advising bail bond companies and sureties have made him a leader in the industry. Rob's career has taken him to all 50 states and some U.S. territories to close cases, as well as participating in the extradition process of fugitives from several foreign countries. On top of his already busy career, Rob also now teaches others 
and has set up the Bail Education Association, running classes in Los Angeles and Sacramento. We asked Rob how he got started in bounty hunting. You will hear him mention Leonard. We will learn more about Leonard later in this episode. Both Rob and Leonard are key people in the Speed Freak killer case. My dad was a deputy with Sac County Sheriff, so straight out of high school. Before that, I was in the Explorers, went all the way to captain the Explorers, ran the Sheriff's Explorers from 14. Well, I got in at 14, about 16, I became captain, ran the Sheriff's Explorers. Up until 18, I graduated from high school in June 84 and then went into the Sheriff's Academy in September of 84. Went to, let's see, I graduated April 2nd, 85, and started working with the Sheriff's Department until cross paths with Leonard, got into bounty hunting. That was in 91. And then pretty much went everywhere bounty hunting from 91 to about 2004. We asked Rob how he got involved in the searches for Cindy Vanderheiden. How I got involved was back when they were, when she first went missing, they were doing all the searches. It was a local case. And me, Kim, EJ, and Pam. And just going around doing all the searches and going all over. For me, it was just like, see, this was 98, and at the time, we were doing just nonstop bounty hunting. I was working with Leonard 24-7, and we are going everywhere, and we found everybody. So it was, to me, it was weird that someone vanished. Like today, we hear it every day. But back then, there wasn't Nancy Grace's, there wasn't HLN, or seeing missing people like you do every day. And so I was just intrigued by it, and then when I was hanging around with Kim and John and Terry, just the pain and the whole, uh, something that I can't explain because I don't have anybody missing in my family, but just it's an emotional thing. Of, you need that closure. You need to figure it out. And to me, it was like, it's going to be easy. I didn't think it was going to be like it ended up. I just thought, eh, it can't be that hard. We'll find her. We'll figure it out. And then the more that went on, it, it became so involved that when we finally heard the story about Chevy, to me, it was like, holy smokes. Chevy was in 85. This is in 98. What happened in between? Because the more you hear, they killed five people that we know of out of Lauren's mouth back in 84, 85. So it was like, they didn't just stop between 85 and then the 98. So that was the part that started intriguing me more about it. I spent a lot of time down there because I was just to me it was weird. It was weird that somebody could just vanish. And then I just kept hearing more and more. And then, like I say, what started Leonard in it is this girl that's a friend of theirs, Wes and Lawrence, was in jail in Sac County and called Leonard and said that they did this and that they dumped the bodies down the mine shaft like the rest of the women. That's when I was like, holy smokes, yeah. You know what's really eerie about that? Is that this was in 99 that this person who's a friend said they're in the mine shafts with the rest of the bodies. We haven't found a body in the mine shaft yet. Rob Dick and Leonard Padilla worked bounty hunting together for many years before Leonard retired. 
They worked on lots of interesting cases, including being part of the security team for Casey Anthony. Leonard was a larger-than-life character in the bounty hunting world. His signature black hat made him very recognizable. In fact, his website calls him a, quote, hero in a black hat, end quote. He started his career in 1975 and has helped over 40 other people to start their own bail bond companies. Leonard had a number of principles that he stuck to during his bounty hunting career and has passed them on to those that he taught. These included straight talk, tell people the truth, and don't sugarcoat it. Never kick a man when he is down, even the competition. Do not take no for an answer. Stay on it until you get a yes. Never give up. When you do, you've given up on everything. Always be available, because people need you. Be self-reliant, because that means freedom. There is always another way to do something. Use your head and figure it out. In our ongoing journey dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. We are playing you a clip of one of Leonard's TV advertisements to give you an idea of his character. Heaven's prison. Come see. Straight talk. You know him. A family man. A veteran. A man who knows the law and is not afraid of a fight. He knows the system. And for decades now, he's kept our streets safe. Leonard Padilla Bail Bonds. You want him on your side. Rob told us what it was like to work with Leonard and why they fell out back in 2004. It bugs me that I always wanted Leonard to make a book about his life because he has a very interesting life if you take out all the crap and BS. But the real story, he has some really cool stuff. Yeah, I tried to kill him when shot the guy behind the desk, thought it was Leonard. And so after that happened, that's supposedly why I started wearing the hat, that there'll be no mistake. If you want to get me, here I am, blah, blah, blah. There was another attempt at his life when they blew up the building. Guy came in and went straight to the bathroom with a bag, 
and then came out of the bathroom really quick and took off and he saw it and he said, what the hell, what just happened? Get everybody out of the building. And they got everybody out of the building and the building blew up. And they got the guy and they sent him to a prison. And this is what I was talking about, how Leonard's weird about getting people. After that guy got out of prison, Leonard got him in the bail business. The guy that tried to kill him got him his own bail business got him to marry his niece, Michelle, who was just crazy. And that's what he always laughed about. He's like, yeah, you tried to kill me, but I you have my crazy niece and she's, <laughs> yeah, now you're in hell. I'm just, yeah. So my best story with him that he went to, we had, it was actually in one of the shows, is in North Highlands. We were looking for this tweet girl. We knew she was going to show up at this house in the van. We knew at some point she was going to be there this night. We're all sitting on it. Kevin's with him. I'm in my own car. We're all here watching it. But as it got dark, we made the decision, even if she shows up, unless she just shows up and parks on the street, we could box her in and grab her. We're not going to get her. We'll let her get in the house, go to bed at 9 o'clock in the morning. She'll be passed out in bed. We'll hit her because we don't know when she's coming home. And we don't want to do it at night because she might jump the fence, we'd lose her in dark, whatever. So we're waiting, waiting, waiting. By midnight, we call it off. We're like, she's still not here. And I'm like, Leonard, she's a tweet. She's going to show up at four in the morning or something. We're just going to sit here and watch. We're coming back anyway. Let's leave it alone. So we quit. We call it for the night. Kevin takes him home, drops him off. Kevin goes to his house. Now, I'm still young and hanging out. So I go meet my buddies at the bar at midnight just to hang out. Got two hours of hanging out time. 1.30, Leonard calls my phone. Maybe it's called. Van's there. I'm like, okay. He's like, we gotta go. We gotta go look at the van. I'm like, Leonard, I know what a van looks like. We're gonna see it at nine o'clock in the morning, right? Because we're not doing anything. He goes, I know, but it's there. We've been waiting for it. We gotta go now. <sighs> All right. So Kevin had to go pick him up from South Zach, drive to North Islands. I had to leave my friends, go to the house. We get out there. Yep, it's a van. Okay, now we can go home, see you at nine. And that's the way I explain Leonard is because in his mind, there was nothing more important to do, not sleep, not hang out, go look at the van that we were waiting to see so that we can, in our minds, know it's there and then come back and get our mind. Like you didn't have a life when you were with him. In fact, it was a joke between the guy that got burned out after four years of working with him. My thing was I just had to make it past him. So like we'd see each other out and he's like, still living in hell with Leonard. I'm like, yep, just gotta make five years I beat you longest ever and it was longer than that but that's just the way it was like your only free time to life was as he got older he would want to go to bed at 10 o'clock and then you could do whatever until about seven and then you're back on the clock again basically and this is seven days a week and he would do that and we'd drive a lot so like we would drive like from here to Kansas to get somebody so we're driving all the way and get to some place like 6 a.m. and Leonard's awake and he's like all right okay go to the address no, we're going to a room for four hours. No, we gotta go get her. No, you've been sleeping all night. We've been taking turns driving for the last day. And he's like, I know, we gotta go. And so we'd have to go. And that's just the way he was. Unfortunately, Leonard is now in poor health after having a stroke five years ago. But we were still able to catch up with him. We asked him about his life, how he became a bounty hunter and some of the cases that he has worked on. 
He mentions Jeff Reinick during his interviews. Jeff is a retired FBI special agent who worked on a number of cases that Leonard was involved in, including the Speed Freak Killers. My name is Leonard Padilla. I'm full-blooded Mexican, and I grew up by Fresno, California. My dad and my mom were Mexican immigrants. They worked in the field. My mom and dad got divorced when I was 10 years old. I ended up going to five different high schools. Graduated high school. Like I said, I went to the military. If I did my four to six years in the military, they would pay for my college. That sounded interesting, so I did my time in the military. So I'm going to law school under the GI Bill. So I was going to law school from 75 until 1980. And at the same time, I started doing this bounty hunting. But uh, Frankie Proctor was back in 92, 93, a little just a few months old. And uh, he'd been kidnapped at a very young age. And I worked with an FBI agent by the name of Jeff Reining. Basically, I knew a lot of the people involved in the case from the streets. And Jeff Reining had just come into the FBI as far as kind of a replacement and started working with him on this particular case. It was several weeks of talking to people on the streets and figuring out what had happened and uh, the truth behind why the baby had been taken. And eventually it led us to an apartment and there the baby was. The main thing in looking for people is the thinking behind it. It's not the actual driving to and from, it's the thinking. And uh, normally it's a different situation every time. You have to realign yourself and you have to get your thinking aligned to the particular situation you're working on. T.C. Anthony, for instance, was completely different, separate. And I started looking into it and somewhat convinced myself that the mother, Casey Anthony, knew where the baby was and that she just had to have confidence in somebody to be able to relate where the baby was. And I contacted her attorney, Jose Baez, and told him that I knew a lot of people in the bail bond business at the time, she had a half a million dollar bail set on her and she was in custody. And that's how it started. We went back there, met with Jose Baez, told him we were there to get her out of jail. He laid out his rules. We laid out what our rules were and coordinated the situation and bailed her out the next day. We asked Leonard whether the flamboyant and flashy persona he projected to the public was real or if it was his work face. When I was in the military in Germany, I worked with a unit, and our job was to draw attention to ourselves so that we would be contacted by young ladies from the other side looking for information. You had to be somewhat gregarious and somewhat and a lot of people couldn't understand well, why would you want to do that well, it was part of the job and it just stayed on after I got out of the military got into bounty hunting uh, by drawing attention to yourself sometimes you draw people to you that can help you look for somebody or find somebody I've always been able to give people what I call a second chance I've always been able to help people 
in need. And I also believe in making people be responsible in their life for their actions. Following the disappearance of Cindy Vanderheiden on November 14, 1998, both Shermantine and Herzog were investigated, as they were some of the last people to see Cindy in the bar. Shermantine was still a suspect in the Chevy Wheeler disappearance, too, from 1985, so he was definitely a concern for police at that time. On November 16, 1998, Deputy Sheriff Detective Deborah Scheffel interviewed Shermantine about his whereabouts on the evening Cindy went missing and wrote this following statement. On the 16th of November 1998, I interviewed Wesley Shermantine Jr. He acknowledged that he was aware that Cindy van der Heiden is reportedly missing and acknowledged that she was in the Linden Inn on Friday night, November the 14th, 1998, but denies speaking with her or ever having met her in the past. He said he saw the victim leave the bar at closing time with the same guy she came in with. He said he got into his own vehicle and began driving away from the bar. He was driving a 1985 Toyota Crescida, California license number 3CUP789, a blue-grey four-door. DMV records show this vehicle is registered to Sherman Tyne Jr. He said that when he looked into his rearview mirror and did not immediately see his friend Lauren Herzog on his motorcycle behind him, he immediately returned to try and help him get his bike started. Failing to get the bike started, he said he drove Herzog to his residence, which is approximately five minutes from the Linden Inn. He said he got a flat tyre a short distance from Herzog's house, but drove on because he did not have a spare tyre. He said that they arrived approximately 3.30am on the morning of November 14, 1998. He said that he and Herzog went into the house and went to sleep without talking to anyone. He got up approximately 7.30am and went to the Linden Tyre Shop, got his tyre repaired and then went on to a construction site in the foothills where he worked the whole day for his father and co-workers Neil, George and Chino. He denies knowing the victim, speaking with her at the bar, and said that she had never been in his car. He said that he was wearing blue jeans, a black t-shirt, a blue zip-up windbreaker and work boots, which he is currently wearing. When asked, Shermantine allowed me to follow him back to his parents' house, located at 2753 Leonard Drive, San Andreas, County of Calaveras, where he was staying so I could view his 1985 Toyota. I asked Shermantine to bring his car to our office the following day for a search to eliminate his car, as having had the victim inside. He said that the victim had never been in his car, and as he was not working the next day, he would bring it to the sheriff's office. The following morning, there was a message from Sherman Tyne saying that he would not bring his vehicle down because he had to work. Several requests were made and he would agree to cooperate, but came up with excuses about why he couldn't comply, ultimately refusing to cooperate further with this investigation. 
Deborah Scheffel also interviewed Herzog about the events of that evening several times. Her statements say, During this investigation, I interviewed Lauren Herzog several times. He said he rode his motorcycle the evening of the 13th of November, 1998. His childhood friend Wesley Shermantine arrived during the evening and they drank and played pool. He recalled Cindy Vanderheiden coming into the bar with someone he didn't know. He said that he knows Cindy because he had a relationship with her sister the previous year and because he himself met with Cindy to play pool at the old corner saloon within the past few months. He said he introduced Cindy to Shermantine and she began talking and playing pool with them. This is inconsistent with Shermantine's statement. He also recalled that Shermantine had been with him at an all-night party the previous year, where Cindy was present with only four other people. Again, this is inconsistent with Shermantine's statement. Lauren recalled Cindy and her escort leaving together around closing time, approximately 2 a.m., he saw Shermantine drive off also around the same time in his silver car. He began trying to start his motorcycle and after approximately 15 minutes of unsuccessful attempts, he recalls the bartender, Everhart, coming out and offering to help push start the bike. He declined her help and continued to work on his bike. He recalled she came out sometime later and again offered to help and continued to work on his bike alone. She returned to the bar. At some point, approximately 20 to 40 minutes after Shermantine left, he returned. Again, this is inconsistent with Shermantine's statement. He did not know where Shermantine had been during this time. Shermantine returned with a flat tyre. Herzog got in Shermantine's car and they drove to the Herzogs, as Shermantine said he did not have a spare tyre. He said that they both went into the house and went to sleep. He had made prior arrangements to go hunting with another friend who arrived at 7.30am on Saturday morning. The friend agreed to take Sherbentine to Linden to get his tyre fixed and they had to wait until the tyre shop opened at 8am. After returning to the Herzog's residence and putting on his tyre, Shermantine left saying he had to go to work. Herzog and his friend then spent the day pheasant hunting in the area. He denies knowing the whereabouts of Cindy Vanderheiden and denies having anything to do with her disappearance. On January 20th, 1999, San Joaquin County Sheriff's Office was advised of the repossession of the 1985 Toyota Cressida, California license 3CU. P789, a blue-gray sedan registered to Wesley Shermantine Jr. The vehicle was searched on the same day by criminalist Katie Kuala, Sarah Yoshida, and Donna Bromati of the State Department of Justice, along with Detective Alandre and evidence technician Prieto. Bloodstains were located on the back panel of the rear passenger side taillight and also on another portion of the carpet area of the trunk. There were obvious signs of attempts to clean this area based on visible wipe marks. On January 21, 1999, criminalist Katie Kuella 
confirmed that in examining the bloodstains collected from the trunk, she had confirmed them to be human. On January 28, 1999, Wesley Sherman Tyne Jr. was taken into custody for the purpose of interviewing him and obtaining blood and hair samples. On the 28th of January, 1999, pursuant to a search warrant authorised by Superior Court Judge McNatt, Stockton Branch, Wesley Howard Shermantine Jr. was taken into custody for the purpose of interviewing him and obtaining blood and hair samples. During his interview, he restated that he did not know the victim, did not have conversation with her the night of November the 14th, 1999, at the Linden Inn, and stated she was never in his car, the 1985 Toyota Cressida, blue-grey in colour, California licence number 3CUP789. When asked if any incident had occurred which would account for blood being found in the trunk of his car, he said that there had been a co-worker named Tim had cut his hand on a saw blade at work in Oyster Point, South San Francisco in October 1998 while he was working for Bay Area Construction Framers. He said that the blood would be as a result of this accident. He described him as an Hispanic male, 28 to 30, 5 foot 4, 140 pounds, short black hair, moustache and a squeaky voice. On the 4th of February 1999, Detective Sheffield contacted Bay Area Construction Framers Inc. and subsequently located Tim McIntyre, a construction worker for them that was working the Oyster Point job with Wesley Shermantine in November 1998. On the 25th of February 1999, I met with Tim McIntyre. He said he recalled working with Shermantine. He said that he did not cut his hand in the trunk of Shermantine's car, which he described as a grey Nissan. He showed me his hands and there was no sign of a cut such as was described by Shermantine. Tim said Shermantine only worked about a week at the Oyster Point site. He did not know him before this job. One night he got a ride with Shermantine to Tim's home in Lathrop. He said Shermantine again came to his house on a Friday night to pick up his final cheque, which he had asked the company to send with Tim. He had not seen Shermantine since. Tim McIntyre is a Hispanic male, 34, 5 foot 4, 140 pounds, with short black hair and a moustache and a somewhat high voice. He could not recall another Tim at the Oyster Point job site, which he worked for four months last year. In late 1998, the police also managed to test the blood and hair that was found in Shermantine's cabin back in 1985 when Chevy went missing for DNA. These tests revealed that the blood and hair belonged to Chevy Wheeler. On March 17, 1999, Wesley Shermantine and Lauren Herzog were both arrested at their homes. On March 23, 1999, Herzog was charged. He was accused of the kidnapping and murder of Cindy Vanderheiden, age 25, the robbery murder of Howard King, age 35, and Paul Raymond Cavanaugh, aged 31, the murder of Henry Howell, 
aged 41, and the murder of Robin Armtrout, aged 24. Sherman Time was also charged and accused of the joint kidnapping and murder of Cindy Vanderheiden, aged 25, the robbery murder of Howard King, aged 35, and Paul Raymond Cavanaugh, aged 31, and the murder of Chevelle Chevy Wheeler, aged 16. In our next episode, we will be sharing some of Sherman Tyne and Herzog's interviews following their arrests. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery holding up? Mine's been draining lately, consumed by the darkness of true crime tales. But amidst the shadows, it's crucial to remember to prioritize our mental well-being. Just like unraveling a twisted plot, therapy helps me untangle the knots in my mind. It's about gaining clarity, finding strength, and reclaiming control over your life. Considering therapy, BetterHelp offers a lifeline in the darkness. It's completely online, giving you the freedom to seek help in your own terms. And with a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist who understands your unique struggles. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com foul today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash foul, F-O-U-L. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We would like to take this opportunity to introduce you to Gail Mary Marks, who went missing from Stockton on the 18th of October, 1988. On the morning of the 18th of October, Gail accompanied her mother to work and from there walked to the Department of Motor Vehicles on Park Street in Stockton to get an identification card. We know that she reached the DMV as her card was mailed to her house a few days later. However, Gail missed a meeting with her boyfriend, Jamie, and then failed to show up at work at a local pizza restaurant later that day. Gail has never been seen again. We spoke to Gail's mother, Sue Kaiser. Very friendly. And she got along pretty good with just about everybody. It's been 32 years. She's only 18. So I don't know what she could have been. But at the time, that's how she was. She had lived with her father for about a year, maybe a little bit longer. And she called and asked if she could come home, and I said, yeah. So she'd only been home for about six weeks when this all happened. 
I just was getting to know her all over again. Um, I was at work. I worked at San Joaquin County Mental Health. And my oldest daughter, Anne, called me a couple of times and asked me if I knew what was going on in jail. I'm like, what do you mean? She says it's shown up for work and they're calling. And, and I said, well, I didn't know of anything. And she said, okay. And then that was it. And then a little bit later, she called me again and asked me again. And I said I'd be home in a little bit, but I didn't know anything. I ran, I left at 5 o'clock. I drove home, which is about a 10-minute drive. And I thought that the answer machine was going to, so I went in there and I listened. And it was Gail, and she said, Hi, it's me. I just called. Hi, it's me. I just called. She didn't sound stressed or anything. I called her work two or three times to see if she'd showing up. And at 6.30, I called the police. They sent an officer out, and he took a police report. I was really upset. I was really nervous. There was nothing for me to do. So I started looking for organizations or something that would help you find a missing kid and there wasn't anything around and so I called the police department and I asked them and they gave me oh they told me to call the department of justice and when I did right in the middle of it they asked me how old is Sarah and I said she was 18 and they said that they couldn't help me because she was an adult and that just like took the wind out of my sails. What am I supposed to do? I just irritated because she could or couldn't be a victim of Shermantine. I've written to Shermantine, sent him pictures, and he swears he didn't know my daughter. And he's trying to put all the blame on her song than it. She looked more his type. The way it is now, they have, I don't know how many cold cases the Stockton Police Department has, but they only have one detective and he's volunteering his services and he works one day a week. Actually, when you look at Gail's case, they are at a standstill because they cannot figure out what happened to her after she left the DMV. When Gail went missing, she was 18 years old, five foot four inches tall, and weighed 110 pounds. Gail is Caucasian with naturally blonde hair and blue eyes. She was wearing a black skirt, a black long-sleeved knit shirt, a brown scarf tied around her waist, brown high-top shoes, and a black leather necklace with silver spheres attached to it. If you know anything about Gail or her disappearance, please contact us through our website.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.